I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. We're continuing to look behind and beyond the headlines as we march our way 15 days to go until the crucial midterm elections. House Democrats in competitive swing districts uh, are finding themselves caught in the middle again, uh, just as uh, many of those on the right do the same. Uh, between the themselves and the and the party extremes on either the far left or the far right, currently it seems to be many of those Democrats that are more center left uh, are the ones struggling to not have to swing so far to the left uh, in those districts uh, that are really those swing districts. And someone who's done a, a deep dive on how that's playing out, uh, really pleased to have back on the program, Mariana Sotomayor, congressional reporter for The Washington Post, covering the House of Representatives and these crucial race. Uh, Mariana, uh, you had a great piece in The Washington Post uh, talking about that being caught between the extremes, talking about those vulnerable House Democrats, uh, give us just some sense. You had a great example from uh, Representative uh, Slotkin from Michigan. Uh, explain that for us. Yeah, thank you so much for that compliment. Well, I spent a couple days with Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin in her home district, which is in Lansing, Michigan. I've been traveling a bit as well. I've also just came back from uh, Manchester, New Hampshire, where there's another frontliner there who is trying to save his seat. And basically, do you remember the class of 2018? That is that is the group that actually made up the majority in the House. But there has been a lot of back and forth of, you know, whether the strategy for Democrats going forward is, you know, do you side a little bit more with those liberal policies that helps really animate the Democratic base and turn them out? Or is the strategy to be able to keep the majority for Democrats to do that for more than two terms? Is that to try and apply a lot more consensus building that you see is a more common characteristic with these so-called frontline Democrats? They see themselves as the front lines to guarding the majority, but a lot of them also arguing that, you know, if, if they are not reelected, Republicans will go in and change the way that democracy can look and change a lot of the priorities that Democrats have been able to do. And we can talk about that um, if you want in a little bit. But basically, their main argument is that they should be elected because they represent a lot of America, middle America, people who are Democrats, Republicans, independents, and that a lot of this term has seen more bipartisan bills passed in Congress than more partisan ones. So mm-hmm. they're the ones who would like to keep doing that. Yeah, and that's always such a, an interesting debate. Uh, I've seen it play out on both the left and the right in that argument of, you know, being in power, but having some of those that uh, are not to the extremes of the the party. Uh, and then sometimes you may have the majority, but get nothing done. And then it flips back and forth. And so those those arguments are really interesting. And, and some saying, you know, we're not going left enough. And we're not going right enough. Uh, becomes such an interesting thing. One of the things uh, from your pieces that really caught my attention is, you know, one, just looking at where we are in, in those uh, volatile swing districts uh, in terms of whose message is resonating. But you talked about how these frontliners 
really have become both canary in the coal mine on one hand and kind of the forward-looking, hey, here's what's working kind of representative. Describe that role. Yeah, it's interesting because they are people who represent swing districts, which, by the way, after redistricting, there's only about 40 left. You are really seeing way more partisan um, and, and some even more extreme members of Congress, both on the left and right. These members, because they represent Republicans, Democrats, independents, they tend to see or they like to say that they tend to see ahead of time what messages are working, what isn't resonating. Um, And they're not afraid to tell leadership that, you know, their way is probably not the best way for the party. Flocken most recently said that she, in October, when they were back here on Capitol Hill, she went up to a lot of her Democratic colleagues and said, hey, you guys, the abortion issue shouldn't be our final argument. A lot of people still talking about the economy, rising prices. That's what people are feeling on a day-to-day basis. Doesn't mean, you know, you shouldn't talk about democracy or abortion issues and debate those. But remember what's front of mind here. And and that is something that they should be focused on. That's a little bit of what you've also seen these members do um, over the last couple of years on, on different pieces of legislation, trying to tell them, hey, let's narrow down the scope of these big spending packages, because a lot of people don't want to see us spend right now. Yeah, and I think that's such a, an interesting thing to go to some of those targeted bills that, that again, a lot of those more moderate members are are looking for. And uh, I also love the line from your from your piece, Mariana, that talked about the fact that these these frontliners are are sort of the equal opportunity offenders. Everybody's always angry with them from from the far left to the far right and the, everybody in between uh, because they're they're looking at things like that of rather than doing this big omnibus and jamming everything in. Uh, let's get really targeted, laser focused. Uh, does there seem to be enough momentum around that kind of approach, or are the the extremes on both ends just still carrying too much power? Yeah, you know, I've been talking to a lot of voters um, leading up to the midterms, and especially in this last month. And you really do hear, especially in these districts way more independent, saying, you know, I don't like the Republicans who are trying to mimic Trump, trying to take a lot of his positions. Similarly, they say, I don't like the whenever Democrats try and be like the Congresswoman of New York, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or like Speaker Nancy Pelosi. They do like that authenticity, and they like when their members of Congress are present. That's something that we've seen time and time again, where Sometimes there's new, fresh blood in Congress because a lot of older members tend to stray away from their constituents. But it is, to your point, becoming more rare just Mm. because, like I mentioned, there's just less districts that are made up of this big sample of the population where most of them do reject the extremes and want to find a consensus builder, which you also do hear in some districts that do tend to lean more one way or the other. People just want to see that things are getting done. Yeah. Tell me one thing you're watching for down the, down the home stretch. Oh, there's a number of things. <laughs> but, you know, beyond these districts themselves, it's really interesting in these final two weeks. I can't even believe it's two weeks. What is that final argument that Democrats want to make? They do seem a little bit caught in between, you know, the momentum that was behind the abortion issue, which a lot of voters are still talking about. Um, But what are they going to say? Why? Why do voters think that they should be there? And, you know, in the House, Republicans only need to net five seats. And again, there's 40 swing seats in play. So we don't know what the results will be, but I'm looking at 
what a potential Republican House majority could look like. We might know that in two weeks or a little bit over that. Yeah. Wow. Great insight as always, Mariana Sotomayor, congressional reporter for The Washington Post, covering the House of Representatives. Great piece today in The Washington Post. Uh, Mariana, thanks so much for joining us. We look forward to tapping in to you as we uh, come down 15 days. The count is on. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, that's some great stuff there. Uh, looking at these frontliners uh, again, they're uh, because of redistricting. And when we talk about redistricting, of course, we always talk to gerrymandering and it happens in blue states and it happens in red states. Uh, and because of that, we have this shrinking number of congressional districts that really are competitive, that really are swing districts. Uh, and so they become very important, uh, as you heard Mariana talk about. The fact that you've got basically 41 of these swing districts that are up that will really determine the balance of power in the House of Representatives. We'll continue to watch all of that. Uh, Much more to come as we move into hour number two. We'll step aside for top of the hour news. When we come back, the United Kingdom has a new prime minister. Sound like deja vu all over again? Well, find out who it is, why it is, and what it means coming up in hour number two of Inside Sources. Stick around right here on KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.